What is up, people, and thank you for listening to this very, very special edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. It is the new year of 2020, so I hope you guys had a happy new year and a happy holidays. We're back this year, and our first podcast of the year for Sports Talk is a special one. Um, we had a, the pleasure to sit down and talk to Coach Nick Hosselman from Basketball Breakdown, the YouTube channel. Um, really, really interesting conversation. We talked on a lot of things. We talked about the Knicks. We talked about the Celtics. talked about the Lakers. Um, pretty much all all the good stuff you want to hear about this NBA season, we we jumped into it all in, in a pretty condensed 35 to 40 minute interview. So hope you guys enjoy this one. Again, this was our interview with Coach Nick Hausman from uh, Basketball Breakdown. Kendall joined me as well, and it was a fun listen. Hope you guys enjoy. Now, I'm really excited to talk about this next guest joining us today. Obviously, we're huge fans of him for his YouTube channel, Basketball Breakdown. I've uh, been following him for a long time. Kendall's watched his videos a ton as well. Yes. Um, Coach Nick from Basketball Breakdown joins us now to discuss plenty of things happening in the NBA. And uh, Nick, uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for ha- uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, good morning. So it's funny how this all started because it basically was me watching the Knicks and them improving, and then seeing how they basically uh, have been turning it around, and how watching Coach Mike Miller as opposed to David Fisdale and how that drastically changed the way the team had been playing. And then I reached out to you and you said, yeah, that's interesting. I may want to take a look at that. Um, so what made you decide to take a look at the Knicks before we get later on into talking about them? Well, you know, certainly when you focus, uh, like I do, on coaching and X's and O's and strategy, whenever you change a coach in midseason, you kind of wonder, oh, well, you know, are there fundamental things you can change overnight that actually have an effect? You know, I wouldn't say the win-loss record has been, you know, significantly affected, right? I mean, they're on a, a nice uh, losing streak here. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, there are some differences. So that always piques my curiosity to kind of stare at that and look at, okay, you know, what's going on there and what's not. So, you know, that's that's what grabbed me. And it was kind of a fun dive just to kind of go through even for like an hour and just like study some stats and study some footage. Yeah, and, and of course, studying Nick's not exactly you know, the most fun. <laughs> Fun thing to no. do, but but uh, but the, the modest improvement I thought was interesting. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, I want to talk a little bit just about uh, what made you kind of go into this field. I mean, I think that for a lot of basketball nerds like me and Kendall, we love the X and O's breakdown of the game, the kind of traditional style of basketball, and kind of explaining to the fans why they're seeing certain teams have success, certain teams struggle. What made you uh, decide that you were the kind of person that could that could bring that to your audience? Well, you know, I was a basketball coach and uh, I had to run a, a program. Actually, the, the, when I, I had started B-Ball Breakdown before I be, took over as a head coach at a big high school in the Valley in L.A., but um, I had been a basketball manager at Wisconsin uh, under Stu Jackson, and I had coached in other places uh, at the high school level. So, uh, you know, I had a background in that. I also had a company where I was doing a lot of video editing uh, things. So I sort of had this mixture of the ability to take footage and edit it and add voiceover and arrows and slow-mo and all that stuff. And I had knowledge of the basketball side, too. So it seemed like, you know, way back in, you know, uh, to date me, to, in 2010 when I started this thing, it was a, uh, a pretty good fit when I was looking to do something on YouTube. Um, and it kind of said, well, you know, no one is really pointing out what's really going on on the court. And you're stuck having to listen to Sports Center or anybody on ESPN telling you, and they don't, they never responded. So what really I think caught on with my channel was that, you know, the, the tagline is it's not a channel, it's a conversation. So I would respond to everybody and then they would respond. And then that really kind of opened up the floodgates. I feel like at that time where it, not, it hadn't been happening before, where now people do people, you'll see people respond on Twitter 
theater, you know, be, people on TV doing that. Uh, it was not happening before that. And I think that's what we were all yearning for as fans is to be able to have that interaction. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, I wanted to ask you, um, this has been a very interesting NBA season. There have been a lot of surprises so far. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to hit on for you was uh, of all the coaching performances that we've seen, who for you would stand out as one of the primary coach of the year candidates for you? Well, you know, I, I mean, you, you got to it's kind of hard to think you would say Vogel, Coach Vogel in L.A. only because he's got this amazing team. But, you know, they are playing, I think, better than we thought, even though, again, they do it. They, they put all the pieces together pretty nicely, I thought, uh, in the beginning of the year. So when you talk about that, I mean, that's sort of where you have to start. Um, and then even like what what they're doing as a team, it, they, they seem to enjoy playing together. And a lot of times it's not the case uh, with LeBron teams. And uh, this one seems to be a fun thing when they really get going and they're playing well. It's like they all like each other. They want each other to do well. So that's a, a, a testament to everybody. And certainly the coaching staff has to be up there. Um, you know, you have to go with, you know, Spolstra in, in Miami is doing a really nice job, too. They're they're playing really well. I've always sort of I've, I've kind of gone back and forth about how I feel about how they play. Uh, offensively, uh, defensively, they're fun. They mix it up. They play some zones. Uh, they do things that make it interesting from a coaching standpoint. So you got to give a lot of credit there. And they put together this team. It's, you know, they're second in the conference right now, which is definitely a surprise uh, for a lot of people there. You know, Brad Stevens, I've said this before, you know, he has the reputation as one of the best out there. Um, and I, I, I feel like he does. I love what he does on his out of bounds plays. I really like how he usually has a good cohesion with their, the, the group. The, the only problem is he's going to have to get to like a conference finals or I'm sorry, they've gone to conference. Finals. They have to get to an NBA finals. At some point he's going to have to like make that leap, get to the NBA finals, maybe even win it to sustain that reputation. If it's fair or not, I don't know, but that's one thing I've been looking at. Um, so yeah, those are the guys I probably would spotlight. I mean, you know, it's not really fair. Mike Malone and Doc Rivers, they already have stacked teams, so they're going to have, you know, it's easy to coach those guys. Uh, let me give one shout out to Coach Carlisle in Dallas because for all these years, he'd call every single offensive play from the bench, and it drove me nuts. And this year, he finally gave the reins to Luka Doncic. He's running the offense that's much more free-flowing, and guess what? They have an all-time offensive rating, and I don't think those two things are uh, exclusive. Absolutely. Dallas has certainly uh, been dominant. Lucas has been dominant on the offensive end. I do want to talk about them a little bit later. But going back to Vogel, it's funny, off air, we kind of had a conversation about coaching here, and I was kind of making the case for Vogel because I know, obviously, you have AD, you have LeBron James. People assume the wins are there. But, again, if you remember when they hired Vogel, a lot of people thought Jason Kidd would be the coach by now. So things yeah, are drastic. Right. Things, are, things have uh, – people have, are, are should be surprised, I think, by how – dominant the Lakers have been to start, especially when you have such a new roster and so many new players. One of the things I wanted to focus on with the Lakers that impressed me the most, because I just saw them recently live uh, playing against the Knicks in Los Angeles, was the defensive end. And they've been um, really, really solid defensively all year. And it's kind of ironic to me because one of the videos that actually grabbed me to your channel was you breaking down LeBron's uh, poor defense in Cleveland, particularly at the end uh, of the David Blatt era. What have you seen from the Lakers defensively and LeBron in particular that has made them just such a such a force on that end. 
Well, you know, he he is a little bit. He doesn't stand out a lot of the times because we know he wants to manage his uh, minutes and he always wants to manage his energy throughout the regular season. And that generally happens where uh, you know you you'll see him just simply not close out and he'll just stand there. But you know, we I, I have to say I'm seeing more energy from him on that end too, which is a little bit worrisome because again you don't want to wear him out. But it doesn't seem like this guy has a lack of energy or ever will, you know, there's something uh, special about him or however you want to attribute this extra or this burst of whatever he has that he, that no one else has, uh, whether it's man-made or natural, I don't know, but nonetheless, uh, you don't see it as much, um, this year you see him, you see him expending a lot of energy. Also a quarterback in the defense. He's always had the highest IQ of anybody on the floor at all times. So you can see him directing traffic pretty well as well in that sort of Draymond Green role that made him such a great defensive player. So uh, that's what you're seeing. You know, they have a lot of good defensive players. JaVale McGee is a good defensive player. Um, AB is a really good defensive player. Uh, Danny Green is a, you know, so they surrounded him with guys who are willing to give it up on that end. And it makes everybody look pretty good. We've seen elite defenses a lot in the past with like a power forward who, or, you know, maybe even a small forward who's a negative on the defense event, but they're still elite because they, everybody else covers for that. Uh, not that they're covering for LeBron, but certainly they have a lot of other people out there that can that can defend. I am a Celtics fan, but uh, this is a very interesting question that I have <laughs> about the Celtics. Um, there's been a big conversation that, look, the Celtics have had a very good season. You mentioned Brad Stevens, uh, the job he's done after losing Kyrie and replacing him with Kemba, but also losing Al Horford. Um, the one weakness people look at with the Celtics is their size, their rebounding. Daniel Tice had a good year, and the Cancers had a good year, but those guys are very limited uh, in terms of what they can give you on the glass. They've been, they've mentioned, you know, Stephen Adams as a possible target, Andre Drummond as a possible target, but the the thing that Celtics fans have grasped with is if you get those types of guys, you're gonna have to trade a Gordon Hayward or a Marcus Smart. My question to you is. What should the Celtics value in terms of the, the, the interior post-defense to guard a guy like Giannis and Bede in the playoffs uh, in the rebounding? Or, you know, Brad Stevens is a guy that likes to run in the high screen and roll. He likes ball movement. Guys like Smart and Hayward, especially in the second unit, kind of quarterback his offense. What would you value if you were, if you were the Celtics? You know, it's funny because in today's NBA, I don't know if like, let's say rebounding, for instance, is that important anymore. I feel like with the three point shot and the way they run pick and rolls, it's like you can kind of mitigate issues with being out of rebounded. So that might not be the biggest issue. And I like Tice. He's a he's a very solid player. He plays on both ends, like what they need him to do. Uh, and Cantor off the bench is another you know guy who's shown that he could play on a playoff team and, and help. So so that is the question. Like, do they really need to shore that up? You know, here's the thing. If they could get Steven Adams, if anybody can get Steven Adams, you better get him at any chance, at any cost, because he really is uh, a terrific player on both ends, too. And that, that he would really help any team that he goes to, which is why I think that OKC would be foolish to get rid of him. That wouldn't make any sense to me on that end. So, um, you know, the, the next question is, OK, they're going to make a move. They got to give somebody up. Here's my hot take. Um, my hot take is they should trade Tatum. Wow. Whoa. Okay. We have not heard anybody make that case. So I'm yes. curious why, why you think that I keep watching him. I keep watching Jalen Brown. I like Jalen Brown more and I'm sorry to the friends out there who I have, who, you know, are involved with, uh, with the, all these things and him and Tatum specifically. But, uh, I just feel like there's something about Tatum at this point is like, I just don't know if he, I think maybe he's hit his ceiling. And I feel like 
Jalen Brown, I think, has a lot more. And I feel like what by playing them and they're kind of balancing all this stuff together, they're not quite finding a great equilibrium. They're doing well and the numbers are good and their winning percentage is good. But uh, it's definitely leaving me hollow. So when I think of that, oftentimes I feel like, okay, well, let's, you know, what, what would be expendable here and what can you get the most bang for your buck? So to me, I think, I think that that might end up being a, a net plus for them if they did switch the lineups, let Hayward have more uh, usage, let Brown have a lot more usage. Um, you know, now you could flip that and say, well, trade Brown then and let, let uh, uh, Tatum get more usage. That, that also could be in a, the other side of the coin I'm talking about, but I don't know. If I had a pick, I feel like right now, and it's just sort of more of a of a gut coach feeling, which is not not based on a lot of analytics. I'm sure the analytics people could show me uh, maybe that Tatum is more uh, effective on the court, but I just keep watching it. I see finishing at the rim. I see the ability to handle and get to the, get to the basket. Um, you know, I, I, and Brown to me seems better. That's interesting. Um, uh, considering you know, if you trade Tatum, you can get. Carlton Towns, for example. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could they could really get a, a huge package for Jason Tatum and get another superstar big man if they try. I do think let, me, Tatum, I'm gonna, yeah. let me throw a Drummond under the bus. Anybody who gets Drummond, I think it's going to be sorely disappointed. Well, that, that leads me great right to the Knicks because apparently the Knicks are one of the teams that were asking questions about Andre Drummond. But I do want to talk about the Knicks because obviously they're in a five-game losing streak. And as you said, while uh, they haven't had uh, great improvement, there has been a modest improvement since they – um, fired David Fisdale. They hired Mike Miller. They were playing well before the the five uh, the five game road trip, which was pretty much a disaster. What have you seen from the Knicks as a team that has uh, that has improved even if slightly since the coaching change? Well, you know, I, I took a lot of notes and I went through a lot of the numbers. So let's let's start there, and then maybe we can pick off some ideas and some things that come out of this. Because the first thing I look at when there's a coaching change is what are the minutes distribution? Who's playing more? Who's playing less? How do they alter that? So are you? I'm going to run through these things, and we'll see what we come up with out of that. Because I'm still kind of you know processing, and maybe you can help me with this too. So I mean, the thing that jumped out at me first was Neil Aquino goes from 26 minutes to 17.4. So that's a huge drop for anybody. And that's got to like, I don't know what that's going to do for his psyche, but that's got to do nothing good uh, for him, which is too bad because I like Frank and I like his development. And I feel like, you know, maybe he should be getting somewhere in the middle between 26 and 17. Right. Uh, but to overnight do that is is rough. Um, Mitchell Robinson got a bump of a three and a half minutes, which is good. I, I like him and he needs to develop, which is another reason why it would be foolish, I think, to get uh, Drummond. Drummond is a guy who's not going to get you where you want to go. Mitchell Robinson could be. Uh, he's the guy um, who can rim run, be the Capella, uh, but maybe even more effective on defense than Capella ever could be. Um, Marcus Morris lost some time as well, which I thought was interesting because he ended up he's scoring better now. He's shooting a little bit better. And he's scoring better with less minutes. Um, and Randall, uh, all of a sudden is up over four, uh, four points more per game than he was. So that's interesting to me. And by the way, so is Mitchell Robinson, you know, and he's not generating his own points. He's clearly just cuts and lobs and that's right. what he's getting his points around and Portis as well. So there, there, you see some interesting dynamics here with how that's working. Um, and so, you know, have they dumbed down the offense? That's not the right word. Have they simplified the offense to kind of like, I, I think they have, they, they don't pass the ball a ton, uh, it doesn't move that quickly. 
So, you know, it could very well be that Mike Miller was like, you know what, we need, let's just like break these things down, simplify it a little bit more. We're going to run some more traditional. I see a little triangle in there, believe it or not. It's still hanging out in there. Oh, um, don't tell Nick Don't tell Nick fans that. But they yeah, have I saw better, a little so pinch post. I saw a little corner option where they, they threw it to the corner. The guy cuts the hoop and then they screen the, the, the corner uh, with the ball. That's right out of the triangle. Uh, and by the way, a lot of teams still do that. But, you know, it's always funny when you see the Knicks do it. So um, a lot to unpack there. I got even more, but like I'll even flip this on you guys and say, you know, what are your reactions to like the minutes distributions? So I think the first one you mentioned was Frank, which is fascinating to me because Frank is um, a fan darling. Um, everybody, not the Nick hardcore fans really do love him. And I think that they might be surprised to see that his numbers have dipped so much since Mike Miller got hired now, because he's had some of his best games since Mike Miller has come in. Yeah. Now, I know part of that had to do with Alfred Payton being out right. and uh, Smith you know, being out, and now Smith is still out, but Alfred Payton is out back and he's starting, so Frank has lost that starting spot. I, 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 I don't understand the minutes distribution, to be honest. I think that this is a Knicks team that is not a kind of team that's, that's going to be able to compete for a playoff spot. I know that Marcus Morris has said that they were trying to get to that eighth spot, but during his West Coast trip, I think they've shown that when they play against the top teams, they're not at that level. So to me, when I hear Frank Nilakina getting so so few less minutes from Alfred Payton, a guy who um, is a decent player but not a starting point guard in my opinion, um, I like hearing Mr. Robinson get a minutes bump. But uh, but Nilakina, I think for me is the one that I look at and I say he's starting to play a lot better. And this guy was your lottery pick. Why isn't he starting? Why isn't he playing more minutes? Yeah, and what's what's also strange is that Frank is also a guy that. If they really want to look at potentially making a move for Drummond or whoever, whatever player they they covet, yeah, he's a piece that would that could potentially be included. And you you want to showcase <laughs> Frank Nilakina and Marcus Morris as much as possible. So yeah, for those guys to be the guys that that have had their minutes dipped uh, seems to be strange. But you mentioned both have kind of played better yeah. <laughs> since that. So I don't know what that is uh, in terms of like their psyche, but. Um, it's it's affected them. It is more. It's somehow you know it's affected them positively. I think a lot of it comes with a lot of the trade talk we've heard. Yeah. You know his name being being dangled heavily because he's on an expiring deal. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you know it's even been communicated to him that you know you play better and you know you could end up on a contender. You know he wants to stay. He's he's right. realized that he wants to stay. I, I got two more things. I'm looking at the stats. I'm going to throw out there for you. Ready? Well, and one of them is the lineups. So the next thing you look at is, okay, which lineups are they changing around? And here's the one thing that concerns me uh, about a lot of NBA coaches. I don't think they look at the lineup data enough. And I feel like they still su- sub a lot with, like, gut feel in, in a game. And that might be fine. But I don't know. With the kind of analytics they have now – they they should be 30 games in knowing already, okay, if we put we want to put this guy in here because that's when he does his best with these other four players. And I still don't think they do that. Now, I know that foul trouble always comes into play or little injuries and always screws up rotations, but um, I just feel like it's not scientific enough. But here's what's inter- interesting I've noticed. So the five-man uh, Morris, Payton, Randall, Robinson, and Barrett, uh, they were a, a net rating of negative 20.3 under Fisdale. Now they're a plus 10.3, which is like shocking because it's, it's a high usage lineup that they use a lot. 
And I'm like, that's, I, I, it's, you don't, you never see a turnaround like that. That's crazy. And you know, I, I try to look through the footage. It's kind of hard because it takes forever to try and find exactly those five and whatever. But yeah. you know, if you look at like even just the usage rate comparison, okay, because I'm like, okay, what happened here? Who's not doing what? So R.J. Barrett's usage plummeted from 26.5% to 13.7%. Um, and then Morris went up from 168 to 28 So suddenly Morris is a lot more aggressive. I mean, he was shooting the crap out of the ball under Fisdale. I mean, 50% from three on high volume. And he's, he's still there. He's 42 in the last since Miller took over. So he's still stroking it for him, which is great. Um, and then Robinson also lost a lot of his uh, usage, went down from 22.6 to 14. So, you know, and then Randall is just Randall. He's always he just seems very steady. Yeah, so yeah. you got to wonder, like, what the dynamic there where they must have talked to RJ or something. And, you know, because you don't just cut your usage in half um, without a conscious decision, I'd imagine, while you're out there with that group. So um, that's a big one. And that's probably the most uh, where you're seeing the most uh, improvement over the last, you know, 14 or 17 games. And one of the players that, you know, besides Barrett and besides, um, obviously, Mitchell Robinson, one of the players that Nick fans are also, um, they have high hopes for, potentially, is Kevin Knox, a guy we haven't mentioned and you didn't mention. Um, he struggled mightily for probably about a month or two. You've been talking about the G League, potentially. Yeah. Uh, what have you seen from him? Do you feel like uh, he's a starting caliber three or four man at this point? I mean, I know he's 20 years old. He's still really young, but... It's really alarming to see him out there. To me, I think he still has kind of a weak handle. I think that he doesn't do well in um, in, in, in kind of a a more a game where he's not getting plays drawn up for him, where he has to kind of find his own shot in a lot of ways. What do you, what did you see from Kevin Knox in a little bit you saw? Well, this kind of uh, goes to my next other stat point I wanted to make, which was three-point shooting. And that's not going well for them. And part of the reason is that you can see they take a lot of contested threes. It's hard for them to generate open threes. And the reason is because they don't really have a guy that's going to break somebody off the, off the handle and get in the lane consistently and then kick out. They just don't have that. Dennis Smith like could be that guy, but he's not playing and he's injured and stuff. So that's a problem. Um, and so when you do watch, like I just started to watch a whole bunch of their threes to see like how are they generating them. And what you see certainly recently is when they even when they do get like good penetration into the middle and they kick, it's to Knox. And he's open because they're leaving him open. And he's just not like his three-point shot is broke. They need to they, he needs a, an offseason at least to train and maybe get better at that if he has the right tra uh, trainer. So, um, but like they continually get Knox open in the corners. They continually get um, Alfred Payton open on the wing. And they're just breaking these shots. So there's no question in my mind that when you start to conceive of the offense, you got to sort of tweak it so that it's not them there. You got to have Wayne Ellington in that spot. Like I even saw a good example where there was one where um, Wayne Ellington is in that corner waiting, spotting up, and his man was going to have to help. But Knox like cuts through before the pick and roll, and it bumps Ellington up from the left corner to the left wing. Mm. And his man does not leave. So now it's Knox's man who helps. They kick it to Knox, and he shoots it because he's open, but it's, it doesn't, it's not anywhere close. So they're using him in a way that's troublesome on that end. He's simply not going to flourish in that role. Mm. Um, and, you know, his handle isn't great, so I don't know if they're gonna, he's going to flourish in a role where he's trying to break guys down off the pick and roll. I've seen a little bit of that, a little bit of the handling. But, you know, I don't know if he's ready for that prime time a, a lot of, uh, consistently. So he's sort of stuck in this weird position uh, on a team that, you know, doesn't really run. Their, their spacing isn't great. They like to post up. 
Um, they have a lot of guys who like shooting mid range. And um, so it's sort of not conducive to a guy like that where like, you know, the way it's set up now, you know, Randall and Portis. Now, by the way, Portis is a guy who you think, OK, he's sort of that Knox role, too. And he's getting threes and he's shooting nicely. He's got a better shot. He's, he's able to net, knock that down. But that said, you know, Portis, they leave him open, too. I mean, man, he should be shooting even better than he is. Yeah, he's not uh, sure how open he is. <laughs> So that's my that's my take on on Knox if that fills it in and then I've been touching upon the three pointers too. So now you know you mentioned uh, Stephen Adams as a guy that's been very valuable for the Thunder uh, and we talked earlier about Coach of the Year and someone that we didn't mention was Billy Donovan who I think's done an excellent job in Oklahoma City. You did a video about them recently and uh, their matchup against Russell Westbrook and the Houston Rockets. Uh, what have you seen from the Thunder losing players like Westbrook and Paul George? Replacing them with Shea Gillis, Alexander, and Chris Paul, how have they been able to stay afloat in the Western Conference? And maybe they're not a contender, but they're legitimate playoff team in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's incredible how uh, you know Shea Gilgis Alexander is a, is a potential All Star great player going forward. He really is at this young age. Uh, so he's already so polished uh, that it's impressive to me with his footwork on the finishing. Uh, we show that in the video, uh, and I showed it a few times in other videos I've done. So they they really kind of they didn't luck out because we knew you saw this last year with the Clippers. He really had the ability to do this, um, and so now that they've unleashed him a little bit more, uh, they have the perfect complement. And Chris Paul, who can take a lot of the pressure when they need him to be. And uh, the, the three-man lineup of Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul, and Shea Gildish is actually the number one three-man lineup in the league. And you throw Adams and Gallinari out there, it's the number, five, number one five-man lineup in the league. Wow. So they have something. Uh, if they they might want to make a move, it can't be for Adams. If you want to keep that five together, I don't think uh, they they have something where it's like okay, what if? Gosh, I haven't even spent time with what they could use. Maybe we can come up with it right now. But um, you know, you get like one infusion of a different kind of player that's a little bit more talented on that team, and all of a sudden that would vault them into the fourth, third, fourth spot or whatever. Certainly, second round of the playoffs. Um, it's really impressive. And we get to finally see Billy Donovan be Billy Donovan and not under the shadow of such intense superstardom uh, control of a team where they're now playing more like a team. They run a lot better offense, and it's a pleasure to watch. Yeah. and you know, I, Let's give him the Coach of the Year award. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, when I look at things that they could potentially use, I mean, they don't really have – a true scoring wing, you know, Shea yeah. can, Shea's obviously 6'6", so he can guard wings, and Gallinari's 6'10", he can play on the perimeter, so he can give you that as well, but, um, you know, they're, they're stuck a lot between point guards and big, bigs, you know, and, you know, they have Terrence Ferguson, and they have, you Not know, score, really. Dortz playing some minutes, Not score. Yeah. Burton, you know, they don't have that true scoring wing, so that's something that they could uh, look to add, maybe coming off the bench, or even insert into the starting lineup, but, no, yeah, certainly a great job that I think Billy Donovan's done this year. All right, so who is that wing scorer that you're talking about? Like, uh, is it... Um, uh, I mean, ideally, like, Gordon Hayward, potentially, but that would cost you Stephen Adams, which right. you don't want to... You don't want to... Yeah, do that's interesting. I mean, is it, um, uh, gosh, in um, in Minnesota? Um, Wiggins? Wiggins? That could be interesting. That would be interesting. And it's funny, Wiggins is an interesting player because, you know, for... Rightfully so, a lot of people have just slammed him for the course of his career. But um, he's played really well this year. Yeah. Um, it, I'm curious for a team like the Thunder or maybe some of these other teams who feel like they can move up, will one of these teams take a shot on a guy who has a lot of talent, um, number one pick in the draft, but 
you know, motor questions, heart questions, um, basketball IQ questions. Is he putting it together at this point in his career because he's just, you know, matured? Or is this just a guy who, you know, without Jimmy Butler kind of hovering around, is able to do what he wants and is finally starting to produce? He's an interesting player because no one, he would have been untouchable this offseason. But I think now some teams will ask questions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his contract sucks. So yeah. it's like, I don't know if anyone wants to take him from that either. But, uh, you know, I, I was actually musing that it, he could easily be a, a guy that maybe like, okay, so like last week or whatever it was, I mean, Russ has started to play better uh, on, with the Rockets. But there was a moment there like a week ago, 10 days ago, they were talking about maybe like going to trade him. And I was like, great, trade him for Wiggins. I, I, Wiggins on the Rockets, I think would be awesome. Although they already, it's like a McLemore, but better, um, <laughs> you know. And uh, and then you throw Gordon out there and then all of a sudden and then have more defense that way, um, even though Wiggins, you know, Wiggins can play. I, I would say Wiggins plays better defense than Russ. So, um, you know, that that was that was intriguing to me. But that now it won't happen because and all the way the, the salaries, they don't really match up because do you know how much Russ is going to end up making by the end of his career, uh, his contract? Well, it's like 40, 50 million. Yeah, it's 40, 50 yeah. million. Yeah. Like four, over 40. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Which is like just staggering to me. It's not worth it. I'm sorry it's not worth it. It won't be worth it in like the what the two years when, it, it, when it's the last year. But um, to me, I would feel like that would have been an interesting trade. But now it won't happen. But um, yeah, you know, Wiggins is one of those things where, yeah, he it's no surprise he's flourishing without Jimmy Butler being there to try, you know, to, you know, be who he is. And that said, I don't want to slam Jimmy because it's working really nicely in Miami. But they also got players that um, kind of probably complement that as well. Not that they got them to play alongside Jimmy, but they happen to have guys like, you know, Tyler Hero and Robinson. These guys seem to be able to um, just sort of be unfazed by what Jimmy might be doing in the locker room or whatever. And then, by the way, Jimmy might have taken had some self-reflection and been like, you know what, uh, that method doesn't necessarily work for everybody, and i got to tone that down too. Yeah, the, the thing in Miami has been interesting because, you know, he's a, you know, these are also young players. This is a young Miami yeah. team, and that was the issue they had in Minnesota right. and in Philly. And it's worked in Miami. Again, you mentioned the mentality of a guy like Harold, Kendrick Nunn, you know, these guys yeah. are kind of pit bulls. You yeah. know? So I think they kind of fit Bam Adebayo even. They fit Jimmy's personality better than I think. And I think the Miami, and I mean, Nick, you could probably uh, talk to this as well. I think Miami's program also fits Jimmy. Like, I think that a lot of times when we talk about programs, we always talk about college basketball. But to me, uh, the great NBA franchises, to me, they run like a program. And the Miami Heat, you know, you talk about the flash and dash, South Beach, yeah. you know, warm weather. But to me, they're... A bunch of tough guys. Yeah. Pat Riley's a tough guy. Spolster's a tough guy. And the guys they've kind of have come up through that program, Udonis Haslam, Alonzo Mourning, um, uh, even the guys we've seen recently, like an Hassan Whiteside, like these guys aren't um, soft players. You know, like the, the Miami Heat, they train hard, they practice hard. And I think that's why it was such a great fit for Jimmy. I think that's why it's worked so well. Because the guys that they've drafted, they're going to draft the kind of guys that can fit right. that system. They're not going to draft guys who aren't going to be able to take someone like Jimmy Butler, because well, that's what, the kind of players they've had. What's funny about that, though, I feel like is, you know, is Spolstra, it, with his communication uh, style, that much different than, like, Hoiberg, for instance? Like, maybe a little bit, but I remember, you know, Jimmy freaked out about that and, like, was went to the media to talk about how Jimmy uh, Hoiberg's got to get in people's faces and whatever. I don't think that Spolstra is that kind of coach, but he seems doesn't have a problem with that. And that also is a testament to, again, the culture they've already had built in there and um, and the fact that Jimmy had to go and, and uproot himself to another uh, situation that was already established, which, by the way, is of a championship coach and a championship general manager. Exactly. So that must also really 
help uh, in that regard. So he might be willing to be like, okay, these guys have done it. I'm not going to be so critical on it yet. But there's a, definitely a, a, this might be like obviously the best landing spot for Jimmy uh, in his career. And um, it's I mean, yeah, it's working out really well. I want to wrap up this video um, talking about in this podcast interview talking about um, the the kind of war we've seen between the analytics and traditional X and O's uh, philosophies. Uh, I thought one of the videos I thought you did that did a really great job of kind of breaking that down was um, talking about Rick Carlisle's recent comments about the post up. And it was in regards to Chris Asporzingis, who this year has struggled mightily in post up situations. And how Carlisle, you know, kind of getting pushed, pushing back from some of the commentary he heard from Shaq and Charles Barkley saying that they're not posting Porzingis up enough. He's taking too many threes. And him saying, basically, the post-up is a bad play in the NBA and really um, it doesn't make sense for them to run post-ups. I thought you did a great job of showing that the Dallas Mavericks, in fact, are running post-ups. And then they were Luka Doncic and they're extremely successful. So uh, a lot of some of that idea of post-ups not being good, mid-range jump shots not being good, come from that analytics kind of brand of basketball um do you feel like there's a a a potential for a team nowadays who aren't going to be kind of running up and down taking a million threes who will value post-ups and value three-point shots being successful defense you know what i'm saying (laughs) right like it's just to me like you know i don't know if you watch football but watching the tennessee titans go on uh their playoff run you see a team that's embraced playing old school brand of football i'm kind of wondering if there's any chance we'll ever see a team in the nba embrace kind of old school brand of basketball and that succeeding is you think that that's possible sure well you know for what it's worth after i did the video showing how luka Doncic is great in the post the very next game dallas runs two straight post-ups for luka to start the game <laughs> exactly so i don't know if they were trolling me or trolling who everybody or what but um and, and what they got a bucket and they got a legal defense or something it was like you know great so here's the thing. I like analytics. They're really important, but I don't know if they're being applied exactly the, the, optimally because like, for instance, with, with, um, you know, if I, if I had the right analytics, I would know like what play call to call in the third quarter with a certain five and then the other five out there matched up with them. You know, I would know based on that, like what we're looking at, or I would know, you know what, um, we got to work on, uh, Tyler heroes, right wing threes when the ball comes from the left side. You know, like that, those are the analytics I need to see specifically for like individual uh, development. So that's why they, they can't go away. But yeah, I mean, what the shot we all want now is the three. Well, I think we can all recognize, I think the numbers will back this up. The highest percentage three is the ones off of offensive rebounds. Yeah, sure. So why wouldn't you want to put yourself into more positions where you can get those offensive rebounds and get those kickouts for threes? Now, the answer is going to be, well, because you don't want to give up uh, transition buckets. But you're giving them up anyway. They're ja- they're jacking threes. You're not always worried so much about the layup on the transition anymore either. And if you run your offense properly, you can have two guys go to the rim for their offensive rebound, and you can have the three guys back. That should be enough to mitigate where you're going to trade the potential three you can get for the maybe the potential two you're going to give up or the potential three in transition. So there's going to be a team that's going to ultimately do that and have two you know traditional big men. I mean, by the way, we're seeing it now in um, the Lakers. But they don't necessarily go for offensive rebounds like certainly the old school teams do. In fact, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't call it up now. Let's see if I have a tab open. But uh, I am for offensive rebounds per game. Oh, I could do it real quick. Um, you know, the Lakers are, are seventh, so they're not completely up there. Um, by the way, the Knicks are leading the league since Mike Miller took over. Mm, interesting. 
in offensive rebounding. Interesting. So at any rate, so there's no question. Like I, I would imagine we're going to see a, a move toward that at some point. Someone should at least experiment with that again, because even if it's that, even if you're okay, your center, you know, is a guy who's going for it like JaVale. But even if your power forward is a guy that goes to the hoop and gets those rebounds as big, that guy can shoot threes for you. Still, you know, you don't need to have a guy who doesn't, you know, who is like a Moutier guy or not Moutier, sorry, uh, Farid. You don't need a guy like that anymore. Uh, the Farids now shoot threes. So you're not losing the spacing. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what I, I anticipate seeing. I would hope at some point seeing some team do that and uh, and defy, you know, that version of the analytics. Right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I do think that it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we saw from. This is old school, but kind of Rick Pitino at Kentucky. Yeah. You know, they kind of revolutionized three point shot, and that's yeah. kind of how they got their threes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and ironically, there's been talks about him wanting to try to get back in the NBA, and I wonder if he feels like yeah. his brand of basketball we'll could actually him, work. We'll see him coaching yeah. uh, Greece in the uh, Olympics yeah. this year, so that should be interesting. Well, you know, it's funny because I did a video on Donovan Mitchell at Louisville and like explaining how he missed that he was going to be an elite scorer in the NBA. And the problem I had with the offense under Patino there was like there's an obsession with like post ups, yeah. even though we can talk about post ups, too. Here's the problem with the post up I mentioned in the video was that I think in 04 and 05, when they first started using analytics to track the post up. If you did a strong move to the hoop and missed, but then put it right back, that was not included in the post up, even though I think it should be. It's all sort of part of the same play. And so that that took hold and then they started going away from it. And then because they went away from it, I feel like the footwork started getting bad. And now now no one's really great at footwork anymore. So so as a result, they created their own inefficient post ups. And even now when we see it, you know, they don't chart it that way. And so the post ups should be a little bit more higher rated. But the other thing is, is aside from offensive rebound kickouts for threes, the next best three pointer is when you pass it out from the post. So you have to have a post-up presence down there at the very least to throw it out to a three-pointer, but it doesn't work as well unless that guy's a threat. And I've actually been developing some footwork stuff that I think will that will really help post-up players be much more efficient and get back to where they used to be with Akeem and Mikhail and those guys. So um, if we can start getting into doing that more, which is sort of based on attack on the catch versus dribble, 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 lower your shoulder, lower your shoulder, get away from that stuff. I think we're, we, there's an opportunity for the post-up to come back and actually be as efficient as anything else in the half court. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks so much, Coach Nick, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Let the people know where they can find you. Well, you know, B-Ball Breakdown anywhere across Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. You type in B-Ball, it'll autofill for you. So uh, that's pretty much the place. And, you know, if you, ever, if you tweet me, I usually respond. And, As uh, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I can and, test uh, that if you email me, I respond. So, you know, uh, it's always fun to have that conversation. And, um, you know, that's that's where you can find me. All right. This is a great basketball conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And thanks again, Coach Nick. Uh, hopefully we do this again soon. You got it. I'm in. Once again, I can't say uh, enough how, how awesome that chat was with, with Coach Nick. Make sure you follow him on, uh, on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel. They do really, really awesome stuff. If you want to catch the video version of this uh, conversation, make sure, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Generation Media, where you actually have the, the full video uh, aspect of this as well if you want to get a, a different take on, on what, we, what we did. Um, but, but again, uh, special thanks to Coach Nick. Again, shout out to Kendall as well for always being there and, and doing a great job in the interview. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this show. Of course, as I said before, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Generation Media. Of course, follow our podcast network, 
New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow me on social media. I'm at Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening in to this special edition of New Generation Sports Talk. We'll have more sports talk later on this week. But for now, for Kendall, for Nick, Coach Nick, and uh, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.